Hi everyone, I'm John Offord. I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series that looks at neurodiversity, the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Aspire Autism Consultancy, the leading providers of autism and ADHD training, educating and enabling families, therapists and healthcare professionals to gain knowledge and understanding of neurodiversity. The courses are written by two specialist psychotherapists and include the voices and lived experiences of neurodivergent individuals. For further details, go to www.aspireautismconsultancy.co.uk. I'm delighted to be joined by Suzanne Antonetta, author of A Mind Apart Travels in a Neurodiverse World and Body Toxic, an environmental memoir to name but a few. Antonetta is one of America's leading memorists, advocates for the value of neurodiversity and translator of the work of the sciences into new ways of understanding human life. A wide-ranging author, she writes about her experiences as a bipolar woman and psychiatric survivor, a early drug dependency as well as the environment and her life as an adoptive mother. Awards for Antonetta's writing include a Pushcart Prize, a New York Times Notable Book, an American Book Award, a Library Journal Best Science Book of the Year, an Oprah Bookshelf Listing, and others. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. As I told you earlier, this is a favorite podcast for me, so I'm so happy to be here. Amazing. Well, we're really honored to have you on the Different Minds podcast. Uh, so great, great to, to chat to you. So 2021, how has this year been for you? Oh, my Lordy. It has just been, um, I don't even know what to tell you here <laughs> with COVID. Um Actually, I thought being home was going to be really difficult for me as a neurodiverse person, but it yeah. hasn't been. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so much resistance here to the vaccine and sort of protests right now at my hospital nearby. Right. And um, yeah, obviously very disruptive. Yeah. And yeah, I had a psychotic episode in the fall of 2019. So I kind of ushered into the COVID year with um sort of rebalancing i guess yeah. so it's been a lot and actually on the um on the uh, lockdown i read an interesting article that you you were writing about the disruption caused by the pandemic maybe helping us better grasp the the true nature of time i just wondered uh, if you could just expand on that a bit for us yeah well the terrible unlikelihood of our being here my most recent book engages a lot with science um, with consciousness studies, because as a bipolar person, that fascinates me. What can we say about the mind? But also with time and the fact that time now, and it's absolutely kind of the standard view in physics, um, is seen as very recursive, as in some sense always coexistent. Um, I interviewed a, a physicist named Julian Barber, who's in your side of the pond. Yeah. Uh, yeah, who talked about time as kind of photos on a table it, you know it's kind of always there and I think that that blurs day feeling of COVID just ties in with that so yeah. well along with the sort of grief yeah um, yeah and loss really yeah. interesting so I wonder if you could just tell me a bit more about your work as an author so w what do you write about 
Well, as you wonderfully captured, I do write about different things, but I would say neurodiversity is my anchor. Yeah. Um, as I said, with the terrible unlikelihood, I was interviewing people who study consciousness and the brain because, yeah. because of where I'm coming out of. And um, I think that for me, as a person diagnosed as bipolar and a person that experiences psychosis, we are kind of, and psychiatrists almost the lowest of the low. Um, and in the general culture, there's so much stigma. So I think what I am passionate about is, is valuing different minds, understanding that they're necessary and they're contributing and moving, you know, sort of the human experiment along. And also that the disease model of psychiatry is just um, very broken and I think needs to be changed. Yeah. Well, I, I read your, your book, A Mind Apart Travels in a Neurodiverse World. And yeah, the, 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 I, I guess it's a, you know, I would definitely describe it as a beautifully written exploration of the unusual abilities of those who are differently wired. And um, yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us more about how that 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 that, that book came about because there's so much compassion and grace in there, uh, and and you show how we you know we need that the, the the creative perceptions of the autistic, the schizophrenic, the bipolars, it's all in there. But just tell us a bit more about how that book came about. Well, in my first book of nonfiction, Body Toxic, I started exploring being bipolar, and then in a mind apart. You know, I'm not sure I can ever explain exactly how things come about, yeah. but I kind of work chapter by chapter. They almost feel like individual essays to me. Yeah. And so I was writing about, um, I started out kind of writing about myself when I was younger and that just kept intruding itself. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, psychiatry talks about onset. I had no onset. Yeah, I had yeah. diaries I wrote when I was 10 and I said, I have a, I have, sometimes I'm A and sometimes I'm B. And I was so aware of it. So I just, I guess I, the more I wrote, you know, and I write into what I'm doing and then I go back, of course, and revise everything. Yeah. Um, and I had this fascinated, fascinating person in my family and Lily who um, had dissociative disorder one of my best friends who still is, um, Dawn Prince Hughes, is a spectrum yeah. person. And she and I used to have just such amazing conversations about that. And we still do about how we see the world. So that just kind of evolved, yeah. I think. Yeah. So you are ultimately very passionate about fighting um, psychiatric stigma. Um, I just wondered if you could just tell us more about that and you know, what do you think still needs to be done in society in general to kind of uh, challenge some of the misconceptions that are still out there when it comes to mental health in general? Well, I think, well, I kind of start with something concrete. In 2019, I, as I said, had a psychotic break. Yeah. Um, I took a leave of absence from my work. I, I had to. Yeah. Um, and some of what I've been doing since then is unraveling that. So the imagery, um, I saw roses in the air. I heard birds speak. Yeah. Um, so I had all these things. But so part one of that is just that stigma that suddenly whacked me in the face. I mean, I heard from no one. And I mean, at my other than my husband and son for in my family, 
my friends, um, the people I worked with, including one work community that kind of sees itself as, you know, a family and supportive, just crickets. Um, so, and then when I kind of started confronting people and saying, hey, they would say things like, um, I thought you wouldn't want anybody to see you that way. I thought you'd want privacy. I didn't think you'd want to talk about it. But what they're really saying is, I thought you'd be ashamed. Yeah. I thought you'd be ashamed. Yeah. And some people were even a little more aggressive. And the code was sort of like, why weren't you ashamed? Why would you want to talk to me when you were like that? Yeah. Um, and then also just, you know, it, it, U.S. psychiatry and that, you know, getting 15 minutes at a time and just getting essentially a prescription instead of unpacking the experience. Um, which I think can be really valuable and I think can actually work against the kind of trauma that can come out of an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was kind of part one and part two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really interesting. So uh, I wonder if you could talk, to, let's, go, let's talk about the term neurodiversity. So I know that you obviously have written uh, about that term and how to use it appropriately and sensitively and and, mm -hmm. and, and help others understand the neurodiverse experience. I just wondered, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, what I mean is that, you know, I experience the world in a very different way than most people. I get outside of consensus reality as we would understand that. Although obviously that's a complicated term, yeah. you know, especially in a country where we have QAnon and people think there are lizard people in the government. I mean, yeah. A complex term, but, you know, my mental imagery, um, my sense of the world, which is very connected. Um, I don't have good what they call gating mechanisms, meaning what separates you from what you see. Yeah. Um, and Don and I have always had, you know, conversations like that, like, you know, being absolutely gutted, seeing a dead dog on the side of the road, just almost being unable to move forward at times like that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I'm always very socially involved. I cook for the homeless here. I've distributed water when it, we had that heat dome. Um, I think the inability to look away can be a bit of a, a superpower. Yeah. And even that when I come out of those experiences of the world, you know, I don't want to go through life hearing birds talk intrusively. Yeah. But it, re it recalibrates my experience of being in the world it's almost like an existential place and most people don't experience the world the way I do yeah yeah and I think the idea that it's disease it's just the sick process in your brain and you just suppress it you see the doctor for 15 minutes she gives you more antipsychotics mm. end of story I think that is really damaging to you know to everybody in a way yeah um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that's interesting, isn't it? Kind of, I think you're talking there about the dominance of the medical model of disability mm -hmm. in, in, in a way. And that sometimes, I don't know, some neurological conditions like autism, people, people say we need to treat this condition. And, and obviously that, you know, we're, get, we're getting away from that, that mindset that this is the, the reality is that people have different minds, different ways of seeing the world. And, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's it, that we should celebrate difference. And it shouldn't, it didn't need to be something that needs to be treated or dealt with as such. Right. I mean, you can look at somebody and if they feel distressed, then you deal with it. 
Um, but somebody on your side of the pond also who I'm obsessed with and trying yeah. to get to correspond with me, but she's very busy, I know, because yeah. we've corresponded a little, is Lisa Bordolotti at the University of Birmingham. Right. Yeah, she's a philosopher of psychiatry. And one of her points that to me was kind of huge was um, that we look at it as if you cross this, you, you walk across this line and all of a sudden your thoughts, what's happening in your brain are caused by brain sickness. In other words, they come after it. Yeah. And therefore, since they're caused by brain sickness, you just want to get rid of them. You don't want to think about them. Yeah. Uh, my psychiatrist would never ask me what I was actually experiencing as a hallucin, you know, hallucinating person. Yeah. Um, and that's sad because I think that it is a meaningful experience. And I don't think there really is that border that you can cross and say, yeah, yeah suddenly this is simply the product of illness and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know you've already touched on this, but you've also written about the value of different minds and I guess the, mm -hmm. the pitfalls of psychiatry to help fight stigma in those with a, a psychiatric diagnosis. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more about that. Uh, well, I think, you know, we've seen that most come to the public awareness in the autistic community, the spectrum community. Yeah. Um, some of my friends like to call it. And that is, you know, Greta Thunberg and, you know, talking about her autism as kind of her superpower. And there's been a really good movement among the autistic community to kind of put forward that their way of thinking, their way of focusing, um, simply their way of apprehending the world is offers a lot of value. And I think that one of the things that I've tried to build on is the fact that there is no real similar movement for psychotic disorders they're just considered you know help, help you know kind of hopeless and helpless and yeah. you just try and I've had shock treatment I've had really been over medicated because of that belief and another person who's a real touchstone for me is a woman named Dorothea Buck okay who was a Nazi survivor she was sterilized because she was diagnosed schizophrenic and she became an activist and she actually lived to be 102. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she, she, yeah, she died in 2019. Wow. Um, but she, after her hospitalizations, called for a complete rethinking of psychosis. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the fact that she called it kind of the ingress of the unconscious, your personal symbol system, which I totally agree with. Um, and one of the interesting things about her is that, I mean, she was a real activist. She protested a lot, especially in her native Germany, yeah. um, because there were so many deaths in the Second World War of, you know, people in asylums were just slaughtered. Yeah. So, um, but she also ran these psychosis seminars where people would actually probe um, what they'd experienced. And through that, they would actually, they would learn a lot. They would offer a lot to the culture. I mean, Buck offered so much um, in just moving the needle in this world. Yeah. And she was an artist. I think that the arts, I think that inability to kind of turn off what's coming into you yeah. is not only something that leads to compassion and social activism, but also is, you know, can be a very artistic experience. Um, so many artists experience psychosis, many people who change the culture. I mean, Freud heard voices. Yeah. Um, 
so I think there is just so much we offer. It's almost hard to, to pin it down. Yeah. I mean, everybody offers, everybody offers something. Consciousness is just an amazing, vital thing. And everybody brings something to the table. But I think the more that you try to limit it, the more you put it into this really narrow bandwidth, mm-hmm. the more you strip ideas from the pool of ideas. And that is something that, you know, scientists, evolutionary scientists in a mind apart that I interviewed said, you know, we need, we need this, we need these, they call them memes. We need not memes in the sense we use it now, but sort of new ideas. We need this. We need this influx. Yeah. Really interesting. I wanted to ask you, Suzanne, about um, the media's representation of neurodivergent individuals and, I guess um, I believe that the dominance of the medical model directs more of a medical model practice in the media. So in other words, it's it's virtually impossible these days for the media to portray neurodivergent individuals accurately mm-hmm. as, you know, it's a spectrum or constellation. And no, you know, when you talk about autism, no two autistic people are the same. And obviously it's a very complex thing to dis- to display. But I guess, you know, I guess the media have a tendency to portray autistic individuals as either superhero savants or individuals with high support needs. And often, mm-hmm. I just wonder what your thoughts were around that in terms of media representation. Do you think there's still a lot of work to do there? Oh, I do. And I think to to roll back to your question, my friend Dawn um, has spent a lot of her life working with primates. And right. she's she knows Jane Goodall. She's an animal activist. I think that's the kind of thing that comes from that openness. But yes, the media, um, there's a lot of research on this. I mean, yeah. almost most of the time, if a person with schizophrenia appears in a movie or a TV show, it's to assault somebody. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, it's that. Even in medicine, even in the DSM, which is the Bible here of, yeah. diagno- of diagnosing, calls schizophrenia a chronic, basically incurable condition that can only be managed. Well, it's not. Yeah. Um, when you actually look at the research, about a third of schizophrenics don't have further schizophrenic episodes. Um, and another third manage, you know, well, there's the third who have ongoing problems. But I think that one of the things that we don't think about is that a lot of non-medical approaches work as well as medical approaches. So it really is about that. If you haven't offered people the ability to look at things in a healthy way, it's not shocking that they don't get better. Yeah, absolutely. I guess essentially there are still many under-researched, stereotype, neurodivergent characters (laughs) in the media. And that, that representation is ultimately based on harmful stigma. Absolutely. And the stigma being that, um, especially with a psychotic disorder, um, that it is, you know, that it's basically just terrible unless you medicate people. They're going to do bad things. They're going to go out and do bad things or they're just going to be bad people. And I have to say that over here on my side of things, um, I have absolutely hit the wall with that political use of insane. and lunatic and deranged i mean it was just if you look at trump and insane which i actually did on google you get something like eight million hits it might be more you know 
my life is not somebody else's metaphor for what's bad. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that think, yeah, doesn't help. Yeah. Definitely. And do you think like there's a massive paradigm shift going on when it comes to language that we use around people with different um, neurological conditions? Do you think that's going on right now as well? I am not sure. Um, mm -hmm. As I said, the language of insanity is just continuously yeah. the worst insult you can hurl. Yeah. Um, I do think there is some movement. I think things like ADHD and autism, people are speaking about a lot more directly. Yeah. So I do think there's been some good movement there. But I also think that with that comes this armchair psychologizing. I mean, I, this happens to me probably at least once a week where I hear somebody say, you know, he has a hard time in conversations. I think he's probably Asperger's. Yeah. It's, you know, again, it's, there's kind of a push pull because the, I think the increasing discussion has also led to an increasing stigma in certain ways. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Really good point. Yeah. And on that then, do you think some people say that, you know, neurodiversity as a movement, you know, is actually, they're asking, is it bringing the autistic community closer together or, or further apart? You know, I'm not, I have very good friends who are spectrum, but I don't think I'm in that community enough to really say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people like Buck, Dorothea Buck, who worked so hard to bring together people with psychiatric disorders. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that has, happened and then we go back and i think we're in a, a back yeah. uh, place with that right now we are not communicating and you know movements like soteria i don't know if you are familiar with that but it was yeah it was fascinating it started in california it went all over uh europe at least and there still are a few soteria places i think there's some in the uk Right. Um, which is basically where people having a psychotic episode were just put in a home kind of situation right. and not medicated and simply kind of working through the experience. It was very successful. Um, yeah. So Terria had a really high non-relapse rate um, and people going on to just feel, you know, live their lives as neurodiverse people um, productively and without sort of shame and we don't do these things mostly because they're just expensive yeah Susanna I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about I know you've done a lot of research on people living with mental health issues and you've interviewed those with uh, multiple personality disorders autism other neurological conditions I just, I just wonder if you could tell us a bit more about that, that kind of work that you've been involved in yeah, um, well, one was a family member. Um, obviously, others were close friends. And, you know, I've just done, I've done more general interviewing, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, what people report to me about the way their minds work is fascinating, because we are all a little country inside. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of what I experienced was this kind of uh, in, in a lot of autistics that I know and that I spoke to was this this kind of just greater connection to the world or, mm -hmm. you know, as with my friend Don, this connection to these gorillas, um, yeah. which, yes, yeah, so strong and powerful. And 
they seem to understand her as much as she understands them, which I think is very real. That reminds me of Temple Grandin, and obviously she, mm-hmm. um, an autistic um, scientist in in the U.S., and she was involved in, she still is involved in in the cattle industry in the U.S., mm-hmm. and she was able to see things from you know an animal's perspective, you know, and and I, kind of, I guess it's kind of. It's, it's, it's really kind of too often we, we focus on the, uh, you know, the deficits of, of, of autistic people when there's so many strengths that we should actually be focusing on. Right. I think strengths based focusing is incredibly important. Yeah. I wouldn't turn off being a bipolar person if I could ever. I mean, I do think it's part of who I am as a creative person and who I am as um, somebody who really does find it in you know hard to turn the world off and and in ways that can be really positive i'm not i mean i think everybody has contributions to make i wouldn't say that somehow the neurodiverse are superior but we are coming from such a different place that i think that you know as as a culture as a group as a human experiment we need as much of that as we possibly can have and I do think a strength-based look is really important yeah and on that then do you think that progress has been made do you think do you think um think do you look at positive initiatives that are happening or, you know tell us a bit more about that about progress well I do think there's some and I think again I I have to say that in the area of people who experience psychosis the progress is much more not not being made yeah. I'm seeing a lot more um workplace adjustments especially with autism and people with adhd a lot better accommodations a lot more room to ask for those accommodations yeah um i think for me i have asked for accommodations but once i get out you know why i need them it changes things drastically and so I think it's a, I think it's good now that we have the Americans with Disabilities Act here that it does open up, um, you know, some room to say, hey, I need space, which is one of my needs. Um, I mean, space from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the time, I need a space to withdraw to, and so yeah. it's great that I can get those things. Um, I would say that there is some progress being made. Actually, I think there are more. Um, characters who are dealing, you know, who are diagnosed this way, who are positive characters um, yeah. in the media. So, yeah, that is a good thing now that I think about it. It is a good yeah, thing. Definitely. So what's next for you, Suzanne? I wondered what you are, what you're currently working on and what are your kind of plans and hopes for the, the next 12 months? Well, I've been doing a lot more articles, which I've really enjoyed. Um, I did a disability column for the New York Times, not super recently, but fairly recently. I did two pieces on Britney Spears, which was fascinating because bipolar was her original diagnosis that got her into that conservatorship. Yeah. But I am working on a book, and this book is my most direct address to being having a, a disorder I, I don't use the term disorder I don't yeah. know what to call it. an existential place yeah in which these moves out of consensus reality happen in a way that somehow isn't contextualized by saying it's QAnon yeah um so I'm writing about that more directly I'm writing about the disease model 
um, much more directly and where the flaws are. And the fact that, you know, it has led to eugenics. It has led to lobotomy, which was done in the U.S. until the 60s. Right. Um, it has led to a lot of bad things. And so yeah. you don't have to discard it completely or say medication doesn't offer something. It does offer something. Yeah. But, you know, I use the parable of the headache. Most people get headaches from tension and you take aspirin for it and your doctor might even prescribe something stronger for it. But what you were feeling as you got the headache isn't dismissed as just something that's pathological sick and doesn't matter. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm sort of addressing those things. And I'm, I am writing about Dorothea Buck. She's such a heroine to me right. and kind of a few other um interesting historical schizophrenics like Paul Schraber um, who's dear to my heart also. Yeah that's really fascinating so I just wonder what your hopes and aspirations are for the future then obviously we've talked about media representations you know attitudes in society how you deal with misconceptions and myths and what what are you kind of what 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 drives you forward in terms of the work that you do? Well you know, to go back to what I said happened to me in 2019, which was awful. I mean, I was just completely isolated. Yeah. And like I said, when I talked to people about it later and I heard that I thought you'd want to be alone. I didn't think you'd want to be with people. You know, it was basically just I thought you'd be ashamed. Yeah. And I really would like that to change. I would like people to understand that you can have a diagnosis like bipolar or schizophrenia. But that doesn't mean that somehow you are mentally untethered from yeah. the world. You're almost, for me, more intimately connected with the world. Yeah. So I'd like to demystify that experience. And while not dismissing people's need for medication, I do not dismiss that um, yeah. if that's yeah. what works for you. But to bring that broader outlook, to try to get rid of that stigma that, you know, once I know this about you, I... I dismiss you. I dismiss everything you have to say because yeah. people like that are just crazy. And, you know, they're in the basket with all these other people we call crazy, which is not a basket I want to be in. Yeah. So I, I would like to see that change. I would like to see the, I would like to see medicine incorporate a much broader and less stigmatized view, because I think a lot of what um, doctors actually have as much or more stigma um, and psychiatrists do as the general population. So I think that that needs to change so that there isn't that kind of, you know, flow of stigma yeah. um, in and out. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I know some academics that are, you know, uh, secretly autistic and they, um, they, they, they decide to keep that, quiet which is obviously their prerogative but ultimately it, it, it's almost like you know that they fear that if if they were openly autistic it would somehow damage their career and it goes back to that shame that you were talking about earlier yeah well the the kind i don't have the date in front of me but the chronicle of higher education which is kind of the academic bible yeah. actually ran a, an editorial piece not that long ago by a woman who said, oh, we hired somebody and I think he was autistic and he messed up in all these ways. And now I'm looking out for that when I interview people. Gosh. Yeah. yeah so uh, 
not all that long ago. I mean, probably within the last five or 10 years, certainly 10. Um, this doctor in training wrote a post for a New York, new big New York newspaper, which you can still find online. Yeah. That was called Psychiatry, the Only Specialty, where it's okay to hate your patient. Right. Um, and she proceeded to say a lot of doctors really hate their patients in psychiatry. In this very chipper, of course we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that kind of just throwing the bias out there, that has to change. It has to be recognized as like any other bias. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you a question, Suzanne, that I ask all my guests on my podcast mm-hmm. series. So if you had the opportunity, what advice would you give your younger self? I would give my younger self the advice to, um, I think sometimes, I think psychosis can be scary. I mean, the 2019 when I had, I, I felt at times like my brain was on fire, kind of my head was burning and that's terrible and you want to deal with it. But I think that if you can kind of, I mean, I've continued to have this bird talking thing happen and I'm not scared. I'm not scared of it because I've kind of told myself, this is part of your experience and let's just live that part of your experience. And if it's bad, then we'll do something about it, but it isn't necessarily. So I would tell myself that I would tell myself um, that as hard as it is not to have that shame to at least stop and recognize it and flip it. It really is other people's problem. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's taken, I mean, I'm not a kid. It's taken me a really long time to get to the place where I think, no, it's a problem with my closest friends if they don't even want to be with me because of this. Absolutely, Um, Yeah. yeah, it's not my problem. Absolutely, 100%. Well, Suzanne, it's been such a delight speaking with you today. And I think in in sharing your journey with us, you obviously will help other people to feel less alone. And ultimately, I guess you're giving a voice to to those of us who who cannot speak for whatever reason. And and you're standing forward for those who hide perhaps a bit of who they are. So um, I want to say keep up the good work. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Those were good questions.